I'm Morgan. And I'm Isabel. And this is Womance. A podcast about romance novels. About toilets. About four fingers deep. About whole fists deep. (laughs) About witches. About picnics. About body image. About time travel. About incest. Uh, but mostly, it's, it's about uh, the last one. Romance novels? Incest. Oh, God. <laughs> it's about romance novels. And uh, ourselves. This week, we are talking about Awaken My Love. Now, you might hear that title and think, are we talking about a goth song? I wish, No, listener. no way, Jose. We are talking about the romance novel by Robin Schoen. What year was this published, Morgan? Let me go to my front matter. Thank you. Your paratext. <laughs> we should definitely talk about the function of paratext in this book. We should indeed. I think that is a good place for me to start because... Um, 1995. 95. 95. What... One. Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump was the fucking Academy Award winner for Best Picture in 1995. That doesn't really help with this novel that much. I don't know. It doesn't really orient it for me. Although time travel, I guess. I guess time travel. That's pretty much it. That's pretty much it. So you had me read this. And that means I have to give the synopsis. Yeah. Which I'm happy to do. But I I would like to earmark a few things that I'd like to come back to. I have a pen so I can write them down. Excellent. This book is Living in the Direct Midnight Shadow of Outlander by Diana Gableden. When was that published? 1992. I just don't want to forget that in this bonkers synopsis I'm about to give. Because I think it's really important that we orient this in relation to Outlander, which landed in romance with kind of a thud for a lot of different reasons. All right. What else? I want to talk about body shaming, and I don't want to forget that I want to talk about that. Oh, yeah, definitely. And then, like, maybe cultural appropriation is, like, an asterisk. Okay. So here we go. We open in the darkened bedroom of a woman who is furiously masturbating because she is sad and alone and has never felt so alone, makes herself come next to her sleeping husband who won't give her sex. Our very next scene is a man on the consummation of his wedding a year after they've read their vows and he's having sex with his virgin bride and he's never felt more alone and he hates it and then they both come and then we get to the book proper in 1883 where our hero I think he's an earl oh who cares titled gentry titled gentry in 1883 and he's in his riding attire and he pulls the bed curtains back and he's like you harpy who can never love me you cold bitch i hope you know that i'm gonna put an air in your belly this year don't want it to have to be rape every time but if it has to be it will be she'd taken her wedding ring off and he throws it back at her and he's like i'm leaving for two weeks to give you space to think about this And she's like, cool. (laughs) That threat feels really good. And then he leaves. And then the next thing we open up to, there are a lot of like jump cuts. Yeah. How I would describe this book, a series of strange, terrible jump cuts. Our woman from the future who is furiously masturbating wakes up in a body that is not her own Uh in a strange place. And a Scottish herodrin starts yelling at her. There's blood and cum on her thighs, which she thinks is a dream. She quickly realizes it's not. 
Elaine, our woman from the future, has fallen into the body of Morrigan. Morrigan. That's Morrigan. M O R R I G A N. Morrigan. I had to fight so hard not to call her Morgan in my mind. It's Morrigan. I mean, I don't. It's Morrigan. I can Whatever. Yeah. Anyway, she finds herself in the body of Morrigan, the young woman from 1883. And then it's like a series of questions about how did I get here? Who am I? What is up with my body? Why is everyone so mean to me? How how do I do things in 1883 when there's no electricity? She doesn't know what year it is. Right. For a really long time. Yeah. But she just, she knows she's in the past because there isn't electricity cars or any way to watch She herself. has to pee in a, a chamber pot. And then the lorded gentleman comes back and he's like, sex! And she's like, somebody wants to have sex with me? At that time, she's realized she's a very nice looking 19 year old. With very long piano fingers. Very long piano fingers. She has dark hair. She has light eyes. But one of her legs is shorter than the other. So and she's scarred. And scarred. So she walks with a pronounced limp. Also, there's a ton of talk about body hair and how Elaine, our woman from the future, is constantly like ashamed and insecure about her body hair. But her of course, armpit hair, her leg hair, her hair hair, her head hair. Her pubic hair. Her pubic hair. And she's like constantly embarrassed about it. But one of the cool things about this book was that the Lord was like, you have hair on your body. Like all people. He never actually acknowledges it. Yeah, but his non acknowledgement makes it like normalized yeah. which is like rad as hell is it though because that's just historically appropriate yeah. yeah i'm like it was rad as hell for me to be like i'm glad nobody like said anything about it that was really nice so through a series of whatever whatever they have sex it's amazing and then he's like oh my god my bride really thought about it slash she seems totally different and way nicer and then more Elaine has all these weird hang-ups about having sex with him as morgan yeah because she's like who's another man's husband right i'm another man's wife even though she doesn't really like her husband all that much and he's not very nice to her. But like they begin to really enjoy each other, which is nice. And he's like, oh, the change in my bride is so great. And then bum, bum, bum. Morrigan's hellish, terrible family shows up to try to take Morrigan home and like commit her to an asylum because she's crazy. Before Elaine took over Morrigan's body, Morrigan did not bathe and she wore a gray dress all the time. And she was kind of enthralled to this maid who was named Hattie and was like really crazy and making her copy down the bible and and constantly calling her vicious and like impure yeah and like just really nasty things so like we don't really meet morrigan for a really long time but we meet morrigan through elaine's interactions with morrigan's body and then we see like this 19 year old prisoner yeah and like this terrible religious thrall yeah and then elaine starts wearing her hair differently Mm -hmm. and starts wearing the dresses from her trousseau and Mm -hmm. it's like well why not you know kind of thing it feels good yeah better than this like drab like shirt she's wearing Mm -hmm. so after two weeks she kicks Hattie out because Hattie's terrible and Mm -hmm. she's sick of watching Hattie scream at the other maids and like make her life miserable and she's like you know what I'm the lady of the house and fuck you and that was like a good moment but then Hattie comes back with the awful relatives Mm -hmm. and we discover that Morgan her uncle has a heart attack and so they have to stay at the house Mm -hmm. even though her husband who we now know is named Charles Mm -hmm. tried to send them away we find out that Morrigan was raped by her uncle throughout her young life and that her aunt sucks, her cousins suck. 
Yeah, in that sense, it's very much like an Ella Enchanted moment where like Morgan's family's died in a terrible carriage accident. They didn't die in a carriage accident. Her father threw her mother off a cliff and then tried to throw the girls off a cliff. And she was the only survivor. Survivor, And that's why her leg is the way it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I thought he ran the carriage off the cliff. That might be it. Okay. Yeah, and she survived, which like Hattie doesn't forgive her for Mm -hmm. because like there's bad blood in the family. Mm -hmm. And also Morgan tried to tell people that her uncle was raping her right and nobody believed her or they did and they blamed her in the case of the reverend and hattie yeah god fuck hattie hattie is really truly the worst it really she really is hattie she even smells bad yeah because she never bathes Ugh, i've already spilled champagne on myself all right uh anyways that's so much so okay key key detail that we need to know going forward turns out morgan is actually a witch and that's how the soul switching happened yeah that's important for the end which we i'm sure we will get to but real witchcraft real Real time travel. Real, 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 real. 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 All right, let's dive in. We get a happily ever after. We do, because it's a romance novel. But not until we reach the afterward. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> Although, like, yeah, I mean, I wasn't really like AKA in doubt. the paratext. I do love the paratext in this. The paratext isn't even paratext. Yeah. It's a necessity for understanding. I guess you could read without the intro, her and the him, and you could read without know. the, you could end before the app completing the afterward and you would still be like, wow, this is a crazy book. But like sure. the deeper meaning and everything really Although, lives in the paratext, I think. Yeah, I agree. The deeper meaning does live in the paratext because without it, Charles until halfway through the book is like an irredeemable cat. Mm-hmm. And like without our knowledge that he is desperately lonely and sad and like doesn't want to have this perfunctory sex and certainly doesn't want to hurt Morgan without that aforementioned knowledge. Like if we just met him without that prologue, he's terrible. Mm-hmm. And like that would have been hard. I mean, he's he's hard to read even with that prologue until halfway through. And even some of the sex scenes are like fucked. This book is so fucked up. Yeah, it's a fucking wild book. Let's do a little toast. Toast. To that very well executed summary. Cheers. It was so tight. <laughs> Just like her 19-year-old no, vagina. I can't quit talking about it. That's not how vaginas work. <laughs> it's a myth. It's a persistent myth. Yeah, I hate it. I'm not into it. So I picked this book because we were supposed to do a paranormal, but we screwed up the recording. Sorry, y'all. Sorry, Sorry everybody. Um, but this was our second choice. We had Nick choose mm-hmm. between um, the one we initially recorded and this one. But I already bought this one because I thought it was a shoe in mm-hmm. And uh, so we ended up reading it. Uh, and boy, am I glad. There's a lot to talk about, y'all. There's a lot to talk about. I don't really know where to begin. Uh, I think we should drop it into its context that you wanted to, you mentioned earlier, you see this novel as relative to Outlander. I do. I do. So Outlander is... An amazing, if you love it. Please don't editorialize. Oh, okay. (laughs) Outlander is a novel that landed with uh, quite a splash in 1992 by Diana Gableton, where we meet Jamie Fraser and... Claire. Claire is in a World War II nurse who is on her second honeymoon with her husband in Scotland, falls through a fairy ring into Jacobin Scotland, and then has to try to find her way home slash falls in love with Jamie Fraser. Nine books later, Diana Gableden's still cooking. <laughs> that same story. That same love story. So part of the problem, like this is actually a fault line in romance where it's like Diana Gableton has fought so hard against the romance label. She's like, it's time travel. It's historical fiction. 
It's women's fiction. It's anything but romance. But obviously, it's super romance. We always have a happy ever after. She always ends up back with Jamie, regardless of how many fucking things she goes through, which is a ton. Everybody gets raped in those books, which is super fucked up. But also, it was really big in 1992 to have a man be raped. I have so many good feelings about Outlander, and this book felt exactly like I read Outlander. Outlander became a bestseller. I will write a book just like Outlander. Why? Why? What about the book says that to you? Elaine being a woman from the future who falls into the past. Elaine is a middle-aged 39. 39 overweight computer programmer living in Chicago, Illinois. She sure is. With a husband who she loves but isn't fulfilling her and actually sounds kind of like an asshole which isn't like Outlander. So at the outset like Elaine has a shorter stick to play with than Claire but the way in which she falls back in time, the way in which she feels like something has happened, the way in which like her internality sounds a lot like the beginning pages of Claire's internality felt really big. Also that Charles like immediately knows her and like something special about like this recognition where he's like, you are not the Morrigan that I left two weeks ago. There's something like new and witchy or ethereal about you now. And it's this <laughs> Elaine thing. He should have noticed the witch he does before. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the afterward too felt like a very outlander moment because without getting too much into it, he has this whole thing where he's like, no, I, I believe you. I believe yeah. that you've been displaced. In yeah, time. yeah. Like, I don't care. But there's a moment in Outlander when Jamie says, I believe you. It would have been easier if you were a witch, though. There were enough yeah. of those, like, referential points that yeah. felt like and really, I copycatting. Think, I think the real problem of the book is body swapping because yes. Morrigan yeah. kills Elaine's body on the L train. On the L train! Just, like, fucking throws her on the third rail. Yeah. And then he's, like, a disembodied soul. And, <laughs> and Elaine experiences it as a really bad period. Yeah! Which is super witchy. But then, instead of going back to her own body, Morrigan is then cast into her uncle's body. She casts herself into her uncle's body. She chooses to inhabit the body of her rapist. So that she can rape herself and understand what it's like. That's part of the reason that she does it, but she does it to like spy on Elaine slash Morrigan. I thought it just happened. I thought she was trying to get back into her original body. No, she did it on purpose because she couldn't displace Elaine because Elaine had taken root in Morrigan's body. Oh, yeah. Because she started to enjoy it mm-hmm. because of all the amazing sex she was having with Charles. She became a corporeal being. Right. She couldn't be dislodged by more. That is such an mentioned. interesting question of like, once your soul connects to your body, yeah. then you enter into a subjecthood, right. like a true subjecthood. So this is a very big book. Guys, I love it so much. Oh my God. It's so complicated. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I feel skeevy at every turn where it's like Morgan murdered someone else's body because she couldn't live in it. Yeah. And like, fine, cool. Don't live in Chicago. Whatever. She says, your trains are so fast. And I like thought, like, what if she's on the brown line? And she's, she's like, green! <laughs> the brown line is our slowest train Oh line. my god, always delayed. I ride the blue line, and so as a result, if I don't feel like I'm about to throw up as soon as I get off the train, I feel like I haven't gone anywhere. And I, of course, ride the red line, which is the best line. It's also the same, though, very fast. Yes. 
I mean, those are the two. The two biggest ones. Yeah. They also are the only two that run 24 hours a day. Chicago facts. Yeah, she clearly was not riding the brown line. What if she was, though? <laughs> it could have been the brown line. I mean, she was coming from 1883. She'd never been on anything. Yeah, like yeah. That. She would have been like, whoa! She also got to wear pants. And that was the thing about the spell that she cast. She's like, I want to be free to make my own choices. And it cast her into the United States in the 90s, 90s. into Chicago, into a 39-year-old woman's body. And then when she got there, she's like, don't like. Don't like this at all. Don't she didn't like, like the body. She didn't like the body. And also, fuck you. Your magic worked. Like, you know, we don't always get every little thing that we want. Like, yeah. Be a little better, Morgan. But I, I do think there is that thing of like, I'm willing to do anything to change my body except for diet and exercise. Yes. Body shaming in this book is real intense. Literally, Morrigan had everything she wanted once she arrived. A husband who wasn't going to fuck her? Yeah, a husband who was going to ignore her. She wouldn't have lasted very long as a computer programmer, I guess. Sure, but I think she could have, like, figured something out. Yeah, she still had, like, financial independence, and she could have figured something out. And she had a condo and croissants. And she was like, no, I don't like the body. Yeah, I don't like being 39. The moment that she wakes up is the moment that I talked about earlier from the prologue where it's like Elaine is masturbating and then the way that Morgan refers to it when she finally meets up with Elaine again in the past is like I woke up in your fat body with your leavings all over my thighs you're leaving you're leaving and I was like I hate you so so much but yeah. also you've been tortured so then I like I don't hate you and I feel so complicated about yeah. it yeah cause like I feel so bad for Morgan and like her body shame about being in Elaine's body in the future one that isn't svelte or young and also one that clearly enjoys itself because she also is constantly castigizing Elaine for her joy of sex books that she found yeah I'm that's like, so funny so weird is the thing but also like true to to the way in which Morrigan was traumatized, raised, and acculturated. Yeah. So then it's like, Morrigan is clearly villainous, but not our villain. And Morrigan is shown witchcraft by a benevolent witch who is like, I'm going to show you that you can have power over your situation and give you control. And Morrigan's like, gets a little taste of control and is immediately like, I don't want any of the life lessons that come with this. I want to talk to the devil. I want to get out of my body. I want to murder some goats. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. She's like, I'm going to kill all of the kittens that my, in ritual sacrifice. I'm going to blame it on somebody else. Yeah, she's immediately dark side of the force. Yeah, immediately. (laughs) She's like, I don't want to see any of your Jedi hippie bullshit. Yeah. Like, I just want power and darkness. Yeah. So I'm going to need a mistletoe. I'm going to need snake cum (laughs) in the form of a marble. I'm going to need a little piece of silk to wrap it in. We need to make things happen. Yeah. She's so serious about it. So then the fact that she is an evil witch then throws in a different kind of context, the way Uh in which Hattie's been like castigizing her. But like there's no excusing any of the bad behavior in this book. Everyone's kind of terrible. I want to talk about the body politics some more because I'm thinking about our final scene Mm -hmm. where Morgan um, wants to experience raping herself. Raping herself. Her own body. Her own body. 
body, through the body of her rapist, her uncle. And then she's going to kill Morgan, or Morgan's body, kill Elaine. Yep. And then her next move, she tells her, is she's going to try to inhabit the body of the stable hand boy. And blame it on them, and then ultimately take over Charles's body and be lord of the manor. Yeah. But she kind of talks about, like, I think I want to be a teenage stable boy for a while. Like, everybody is more desirable than any woman's body in this book. I mean, Morgan is a savvy woman. Yeah, she knows that she can't have power. She can't have the things that she mm-hmm. deems entirely necessary to her mode of living and I think without that, inhabiting a male body. And I think the fact that she kills Elaine's body in mm-hmm. 1995 Chicago is an indictment on our current society that she was like... Nope, I thought a woman in the future would have the shit that I need. Of course, she is utterly power mad. But if you're going to be utterly power mad, go back in time and inhabit a white guy's body. Well, right. And like, that's her ultimate goal. Goal, yeah. Take over Charles's lord and estate and like sit in the House of Commons. Although I'm like, Morgan, you would have been super fucking bored. Let's be real for a second. (laughs) But yeah, I think it's interesting that you see her murder of Elaine's body as an indictment of our own society. Because like, for me, that felt like an indictment writ large of how we feel about different bodies especially of women in general where it's like she cannot exist in a non-young non-skinny female body yeah but that's not true because she like goes into her old uncle's body who still has more power and then she's like I'll be happy enough in a young stable boy's body yeah which is still male yeah definitely she could have probably cast herself into another woman's body in 1995 and chose not to and chose not to was like no thanks none of this is good. I don't like any of this. Which is either her failure of imagination or, I mean, a combination of factors. She's like, your trains are too fast and like, I don't like your computers and like, everything is smelly. No, do you think that we're better off now than money gentry white guys in the 19th century? Do you think you, no, of course not. But I I will say this, like, I think we've moved pretty far. Like, the difference between an 1883 woman and now is a lot. But I'm saying Morgan had the presence of mind to be like, you know what, this is better than what I had before. It's still not as good as what my uncle and husband had going on back then Mm -hmm. and that's who I can clearly visualize and connect with and so that's what I'm gonna do instead definitely she's like I need a dick and I need it to be attached I need a pink dick pink dick I mean, she's not wrong is the thing. Exactly. Like, that's the thing. She's an asshole, but she isn't wrong. Her victimhood manifests itself then as like such a malevolence. Yeah. And like that ending scene when we find out that she's inhabited her uncle's body and is like basically killing it. Cool. Super cool witchcraft shit. She's like sucking the life force because her soul is so much stronger than his. She's like giving him reoccurring strokes and heart attacks. Super neat. But the fact that she's going to use his... His body to rape her own yeah. knowing that Elaine is in it yeah that shit was so yeah she's not interested in sisterhood oh my god like, at all well because all the women in her, her life, life have all awesome except for the one who gave her witchcraft and she killed that woman almost immediately because that woman wouldn't show her the dark side yeah so then it's like she can't even understand friendship because she's like such a broken creature yeah but she's been broken in such well, a her dad way. killed their whole family yeah. and then she was sent to her uncle Ugh. and she was made to sleep in a tower on an iron bed and then her uncle raped her and the book is specific readers 
Listeners, the book is so specific about her rape. And like when Elaine, which is how we find out about it, yeah. is through uh, Elaine's interaction with the uncle mm-hmm. and Elaine's interaction with Hattie and like Elaine's interaction in Morgan's body when she goes to visit her quote unquote sick uncle. I also think when Elaine went to visit her quote unquote sick uncle, I was like, God, this is a lot of exposition. And then it turns out this book is too good. The exposition is even like explained. Yeah, because he tries to rape her. He's trying. It's Morrigan telling her what happened to her. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's so much. And we haven't even gotten to the actual sex scenes yet. No. Which are like bonkers in and of themselves. They are wild. Oh, my God. I think we need to talk about the sex scenes. What else did you want to get to? We We talked about body shaming. We talked about Outlander. Cultural appropriation. Charles has spent some time in India. Charles lives like Councilman Jam. (laughs) But with India instead of Japan. Councilman Jam, as in the character from Parks and Rec. And when they go to his house, he's got like tons of katanas and silk robes and herbs. Yeah, that's exactly how Charles lives. And he spent, you know, like less than five years in India. All of it doing like war-based conquering. Yeah, definitely. Was putting down kerfuffles, as John Oliver would say. Which meant radical and terrible oppression and murder and slaughter and genocide. And what he brought back with him was the... Kama Sutra. The Kama Sutra and also his bedroom decor. Oh my god, his bedroom decor! Black silk (sighs) sheets. Weird elephant tapestry. And like, I had a really hard time with Charles. I'm not gonna lie. So they connect with one another, Elaine and Morgan's body and Charles, over a silly picnic wherein she mixes pickles with fruit preserves. Yep. And he's like, ew, that's so gross. Um, Which doesn't actually sound that gross. They had like pickles, cheese, and fruit preserves, and bread, and mustard. And they just go crazy with their combos. It reminded me of those scenes in the movie The Room that you're supposed (laughs) to think are funny. Yeah. And like you see the characters laughing, and you're like, what is happening? Right. And and then they have sex. They do have sex. The picnic, though, is a setup because Charles notices a difference in the household. Hattie's been let go entirely. Everybody seems happier. Morrigan seems happier and she seems like apprehensive but not afraid of him and she's not praying as much and she's not wearing her shitty clothes. And he's like this time away, she's really done some work. Like I'm not gonna like be whatever, whatever and like scare her into bed and like fucking rut and get my air on her. Like oh let me take her on a picnic and like we can like reacquaint ourselves with all this work that's been done. He takes her horseback riding on her period. Yeah. He helps her out with her period. It's really nice. And like, I like Charles despite myself. I know. The things that he says during sex are so bad. He is very much like he read a book by Mystery, any one of the pickup artists, because he's negging. All the time. He's peacocking. Oh my God. He's got that weird Asian appropriating white guy thing going on. Yeah. So like they have sex at the picnic, which is nice. I guess, except for this thing that he says to her. He's saying Yoni. <laughs> he uses Indian phrases. <laughs> and he's like, tell which shocker is this that I'm tickling? And I'm like, ah, none of them. <laughs> Don't, please stop. He's like, I'm going to put my what in your Yoni? Yeah. Yoni, I only know because I have one. <laughs> 
I think the thing that will stay with me from that scene in particular, where he's three fingers deep and she's like, I don't know, the consent part of that was like difficult and like me. Oh, she's on a horse. Oh, I forgot about the horse. She's on a horse and he's three don't fingers involve. deep. Don't involve. Animals cannot consent. <laughs> and he's like, should I put a fourth? And I was like, no, <laughs> please. Because, okay, the initial sex scene, she's like wandering the house. She's totally bored. She's been reading some books. She goes into the library. She sees this jewel encrusted tome right. on the desk. It's the Kama Sutra. Yep. He sneaks up. He's like drunk and hanging out in his library. And he's like, ooh, you like that? He like starts fingering her and playing with her nipples and stuff and being like, that's called a yoni. You've got a yoni. And then she sees like an illustration of a guy putting like his whole hand inside of a yoni. And she's like, ooh, that can't be comfortable. And then the next day she's on a horse and he's like, I'm going to do it to you. And she's yep. like, no thanks. And the horse is like, nay, nay, nay. <laughs> nay, 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 good sir. <laughs> the horse is like, <laughs> Please do not. And the worst part is, is that her old lady horse was just abandoned by the pond. <laughs> this velvet riding habit. It's hot outside. It's so hot. One of the things I love about the clothes. Oh my God. Oh my God. So she's in the riding habit. He comes home after these two weeks. They're like fucking hand fisting. <laughs> Stuff. Lots of stuff is happening. And then her shitty relatives show back up. We don't yet know that Morgan is inhabiting the uncle. And her aunt makes fun of the way that she's dressed. We're in Charles's perspective. And he looks at her like for the first time really critically rather than carnally. And he's like, oh, she doesn't have her bustle or her petticoat. Uh-huh. And it's because she's dismissed Hattie and uh-huh. she's wearing nicer clothes and like they need and Katie, things. her and Katie. new maid, mm-hmm. gets so mad at her and is like, why didn't you tell me that you didn't have bustle? I look like an idiot. Yeah. And she's like, I'm sorry. I didn't know. It is so good. I, I love, love Katie. I do too. Katie's Katie, really good. Katie is her unprepared ladies maid. Totally unprepared. Who is so in love with Charles's butler, his personal valet who Charles met while he was committing acts of colonization in India. Murdering people. Yeah. And like his personal valet like refuses to associate himself with Katie. Because even though she's an unprepared ladies maid and has like a deep accent. Yeah, he's like, she's unprepared. Also, she should probably be a lady's maid. And they have this like (laughs) weird back and forth where like Katie is very into him and he like is obviously very into Katie because he wouldn't go to bat for her so much. But they are constantly getting teased for sleeping together. And she's like, no, he won't even like talk to me. Won't even kiss me. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard out here for Katie. I know. Bless them. Bless them. They're going to have a beautiful relationship together. Katie's pretty great. I really did like Katie. And Katie is like a source of empowerment for Elaine inside Morrigan's body. So, and like, also a little bit of comic relief. Totally. Oh my God. Thank God for Katie. For fuck's yeah. sake, this book would have been too corporate. I know. The author, Rob- Robin Schoen, is a craftsman. Did you know Morgan is going to titillate you with this oh one? Oh my God. This is Robin's first novel. Shut up. It's her first novel. If you read her like author's notes at the end, first novel, which is why it will always have a special place in her heart. And she feels like she's grown a lot and she understands what she was doing. This is as bonkers as Kathleen Woodyweiss. Oh, yeah. And Easily. 
significantly better. Sure. Because of the way it's dealing with corporeal trauma? Because of the way it's dealing with corporeal trauma, the structure of it, it never gets away from itself. That's true. Everything comes back around, including her being like, why am I not wearing my wedding ring? And she puts it on. Yeah. That even comes back at the end. It does. The weird bramble she finds in her Mm. bridal trousseau comes back at the end. Katie's like general (laughs) misanthropy comes back at the end. It's a very tight book. Katie always comes in to relieve the tension. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just very well done. It is. It's tight. It hits its beat. I don't think Robin has good taste in men. No. But I think that's true for most of the romance novels we read. Half and half. The thing about Charles is like his anguish about being so lonely and about being unsatisfied and how he doesn't want the sex act just to be a sex act felt like... He'd been to India. It's not even like that in the East. Yeah, there's that... Come on, you guys. There's that part of it, but it also felt so real. And then to juxtapose it with Elaine in her body Mm -hmm. and to feel so alone, the fact that they're both intimately touching other human beings in that moment of critical loneliness was so beautiful done that it bought so much real estate for Charles for me that like all of the shitty negging and like playboy the lonely black swan which is such a beautiful appropriate metaphor that arrives at the right time that is never overused never overused I mean she's very good yeah I agree like that was a particularly beautiful metaphor and the fact that like it's only evoked in Elaine's mind she only ever speaks it twice yeah it's like it's really beautiful and I was initially on Charles' team, and then he did all of this, like, fucked up horse shit, horse pun intended, to, like, really ruin how I felt about him. Yeah. And then, like, reclaims it at the end, which I didn't think was going to be possible, and then was. I mean, it's just, it's very well done. This book is, like, mega bonkers, though. It's mega bonkers, and it never gets away from itself. Yeah. It's a spinning top. Yeah. But it ends on the table I guess yeah it doesn't fall (laughs) off the table yeah oh thinking about whenever Elaine realizes that she's in the Victorian era and she's scandal she's like what is going on he wants to have sex in all these crazy ways and he's Victorian reminded me very much of Foucault yeah the important note on Victorians having repressed sexuality is that they weren't actually repressed they were performing repression right because they were fucking each other's fucking eyeballs out at every chance that they got, which is why they were so obsessed with repression. Yeah. Yeah. No, this, like, when you sent that text message that this is very Foucaultian, I was like, what are you talking about? And then I was like, oh, my God. Sex, 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 It's on the nose. They have so Although I don't think sex. this book is realizing that. I mean, it's a little aware of itself, especially in that bath scene. Oh my God. If someone comes up to you and they're like, close history of sexuality was about how repressed the Victorians were about sex. You look at them, listener, and you say, no, that is not, you missed the whole point. <laughs> you actually missed the entire reading of the book. <laughs> That's the boat leaving you at the dock. <laughs> You ignorant Philistine. Uh, sexiest part. Oh my God. Sexiest part. I don't know if I... There was any of this sexy? I mean, yeah, there were sexy sex scenes. Oh, I like it when they're in the bathtub together. That's really good. <laughs> his personal valet walks in and is embarrassed. Scandalous. To see them together. 
I like the bathtub together. The bathtub together was nice. I also liked that getting back to your hiney. So she's been peeing in a chamber pot. She's been having Katie haul up buckets of hot water to her uh-huh. room. And then he, she goes into his chamber and his secret bathroom, which also has a functioning water closet, functioning pipe, and actual oh, yeah. bathtub. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, you've been hiding this from me? And he's like, uh, I never intended for you to sleep in your room all the time. Just like, you know, sometimes when I snored or you were having your period. Except he's like totally fine with her period. Yeah, because he... He gets four fingers deep in her on her period. Oh, are you anti-period sex? No, not at all. I love period sex. And I love it when... There's nothing sexier than when a guy is like... Willing to earn his red wings. Sure. (laughs) But like also the thing about it... Hell's Angels joke. (laughs) really good Hells Angels joke. There's like, I don't remember where I heard this. It was either on like This American Life or like whatever. But there's this young woman. She's only 22. She's just moved to New York. Oh yeah, I love it. It's all, it is This American okay. Life. It's the romantic comedies yes, episode. Yes. And like, she's like super into this guy. And like, she's so nervous about it. And then like gets her period all over his sheets. And then she steals the, the sheets. sheets. She's so embarrassed. And she gets stopped at a police barricade. And they're like, like, you need to open up your bag and she just has these very bloody sheets, sheets that she stole from this guy and the cop is like oh my god and you she's murdered like, someone yeah and she's like no you could call the guy I had sex with yeah. and the guy comes to the police barricade and is like those are my sheets and we had sex yeah and then he like takes her home and puts those sheets like in the washer <laughs> and he's like we can do it again if you want and I was like that is feminism in action what a good ally what a good ally <laughs> But I also like deeply understood the desire to just take the sheets and run. Tell me why you flush the sock. (laughs) (laughs) No, I knew that I was with somebody that I wanted to spend a long time with when I was like, oh, I'm on my period. And he's like, cool. So uh, we get in this. (laughs) I was like, I love you. I can't find the part that I highlighted. That was the sexiest part? Yeah. I mean, what was my sexiest She mentions dancing in the moonlight and the stable boy seeing her. Uh, Mm -hmm. Morrigan does. And I was like, woo, that sounds cool. That's another sexy part. Bathtub, they don't really have sex. They just hang out in the bathtub together, which was really nice. And washes her back. Yeah, it's efficient. Oh, when she dresses up in the red dress without a corset, which is very outlander. I don't know if that was in the books. It's in the TV series. Yeah. But, and with her bosoms out, that was very sexy. I mean, really every moment that somebody is like trying to put her down mm-hmm. and Charles comes to her rescue. No, come on, Isabeau. Those, those are, are not so the sexy. sexiest part. You no, know, but like it's that post-piano sex scene. So she's played the piano. Oh yeah. She was supposed to be bad at the piano. And she's not. Yeah, and she plays because Elaine dreamed of being a, a concert pianist. pianist and her fingers were too short and stubby. Fat. And now she has um, pianist, pianist hands yep. as Morgan, and she's like, yeah, taking it and home. And she hasn't played since she was seventeen. What is she and was like? Here's embarrassed. The, she could have taken. She could have taken the opportunity to invent jazz in that moment. Yeah, but she didn't remember jazz. She remembered whatever it was that she was embarrassed to play at her concert. Yeah, when she was seventeen. So she plays that. Her aunt and her stupid cousins, evil are like, cousins. Oh my god, where the fuck did that come from? And Charles is like, I don't care what we do. You and I are going to bed, and we're going to bed right now. And he like swoops her up the stairs and like deposits her on the bed and like 
strips her naked. It does have like satisfying pretty woman yeah. going back into the fancy store moments. Yeah. Not as satisfying as Beverly Jenkins is Certainly. telling people off, but it's still, it's still pretty, pretty satisfying. Yeah. yeah. So like that moment when he's like so turned on, he can't like not be around her slash touch her like swoop in and the, like. The, blah, 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 blah. That's the thing that I think separates romance novels from pornography is mm. that there's more than just sexual pleasure. There's all sorts of pleasure yes. <laughs> going on. Oh my God. The pleasure of telling off your villain. Yes. The pleasure of being supported in the way you want to be supported. Yeah. The pleasure of looking great at a party in yeah. front of your enemies. Yeah. The pleasure of like befriending Katie and like yeah. having Katie be on your side. I think you're so right to say that like romance is a genre about pleasure, but like the manifestations of like a multitudinal pleasure. Mm-hmm. I think that's so right. What is the weirdest part for you? Uh, the fisting on a horse. The fisting on a horse. Or are you upset for the horse? I'm not upset for the horse. It's you just, should be upset for the horse. I guess. I'm, it was a threesome with a horse that did not ask to be there. Certainly. And the horse, like, yeah, sure. Nay, 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 nay. All day long. But also, the second weirdest part was Morgan taking over her rapist body, wanting to rape her own body. Yeah. And then murder her own body, which housed Elaine. I. That was really weird. It was. It was weird. Like, and there was like, it was moonlight and she wanted the snake come, which was in the size of a marble. It was a beautiful blue marble and Katie had given her little brother. Yep. Katie had burned <laughs> the mistletoe, used the silk to scrap make to make a hanky for her mom and gave the marble to her brother because Katie is a goofball slash klepto. Yeah, it's full on klepto. She's like, like, I never thought you'd notice, ma'am. And yeah. it's like, you wouldn't notice that my own shit was yeah, everything, everything in this book is so tight because like Elaine talks about seeing Katie pause when she sees the marble and the silk and the mm-hmm. mistletoe and then Katie doesn't acknowledge it mm-hmm. and then it all comes back. It all comes back. This book is meant to be weird. This book is meant to be weird. And that's why it's hard for me to pick a weirdest part oh my because God, you know so much weird shit. I live in that muck. Yeah, you fucking love the weird I shit. I love the weird shit. Yeah. Weirdest part for me, Elaine is talking about how miserable she is on the chamber pot. Mm -hmm. I'm going to read you this passage. Please do. Elaine suddenly visualized the master bathroom in her and Matthew's condominium. Mm. The white enameled tub had sliding glass shower doors. The toilet beside it had an air cushioned seat. (laughs) (laughs) So 80s. Nothing revolted me more in this book than the cushion toilet seat. That was the, the weirdest part. Of air I know. Your, like ass hits it, and like all of the fecal matter that yeah. is just getting sucked in to that toilet seat when you flush. Mm. Hindsight, you know what I mean? Like yeah. she's talking about how gross the chamber pot is, mm. and it's like you are not that much better off. Maybe not at all. On this book, it like really leans into the grossness of the era. In the first chapter, you're reading about her discovering the chamber pot and the little girl who has to carry it out and she sloshes a little on her apron and then she comes back in a clean apron but not a new dress like the book is in the beginning that was like the first thing that I connected with the fact that it opened with masturbation which has been talked about a lot on Goodreads and the fact that it really leaned into the grossness of its era did not romanticize the era at all also that she like literally doesn't have a bath for a thousand pages yeah yeah and like the first like actual not literally a thousand pages but I think we know that now it's a long book, but not that long. But like, that's like the revelation of Charles's bathroom is like, it feels like such a sensorial treat. 
because we've been fucking dealing with like a washcloth in her armpits once in a while and like going down on him in the stream and like that was her bath. Yeah. And a big deal was made out of the fact of like how much labor goes into mm-hmm. self-cleaning and Charles is very much into washing everything. because he went to India. Because in India, you guys, it's like totally different. Like they bathe every day. They also have this thing called a yoni. And the Kama Sutra. I have a jewel encrusted one. I know so much about so much. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like a different, I'm like a different perspective no, to the average English word. So I would like to like talk about the afterword and like the end. Yeah, the happy ending doesn't come until the afterword. Yeah, the moment that we end, Morgan in her uncle's rapist body is trying to murder and rape Elaine in Morgan's body. All comes to nothing. There's a very satisfying fight scene between Charles and the <gasps> desiccating yes. corporeal form of Morgan slash her uncle yeah beats the shit out of him yeah and that's the way he sends elaine back into morgan's body he kicks the uncle in the face and elaine's last memory is getting kicked in the face right and then she hears him saying don't leave me don't leave me alone which is again like the anguish cry from the beginning of i don't want to be alone yeah that was a really nice like little braid yeah and like that's what brings her back into her corporeal self yeah and then we get the afterward no we don't know that she's back in her corporeal self until Till the afterward. But like the afterward then takes forever because she spends so much time thinking that she's going to go to Bedlam that like he thinks that she's a witch or thinks that she's a witch. The epilogue rather. And he's like lets her believe that. Yeah. So the epilogue begins with Elaine looking at Morgan's face in the mirror and we hear from Katie what the story is as to how they ended up there. She thinks that she's going to go meet um Charles's friend who's a doctor to ultimately be committed and it turns out Charles has decided against that and they go on a, another picnic another picnic so it's been three days since the initial death of the uncle everything settled with Morgan's soul being dispersed somewhere else potentially to an afterlife and then we're not exactly sure and then he takes her on this picnic and she's like i'm gonna go to bedlam he's like setting me up for this i know like he has to think i'm crazy the last events of the last few days have been crazy also somebody's been writing her letters saying i know that you're fucking him yeah oh the like lovely problem of the fact that morgan is left-handed and elaine is right-handed there's no fat in this book it's all lean muscle Okay, so she's been recovering for three days and he says, God, I've wanted you, he said thickly. You have no idea how hard it was not to come to you, how especially hard it was knowing the only thing that separated us was a little door that wasn't even locked. Rather face a thousand warring Indians than go through what I've been through these last few days keeping away from you. Elaine stared at his throat, a pulse beat as if working double time. His heart pounded so hard it shook his whole body. She could feel something harder, she suspected, than had been the last few days beneath her body. Why did you? His penis. His penis. She asked in a tiny voice, afraid to hope, afraid to speculate. Reason told her not to trust another man, that one had used her sexuality against her, that this one might be setting her up to do the same thing. The world tilted, a maze of blue sky and green leaves. Elaine found herself on her back. Charles leaned over her. His blue eyes were guarded. Perhaps my lady needed her rest. Damon said the last thing you needed was a rapturous husband keeping you up all day and all night. And then she does this thing where she's like, no, I need to talk about this. Like, you're trying to like diffuse the situation with like sexuality and humor and she's like really though 
do you believe me? And he says yes. He says yes. And it's a lovely happily ever after. Elaine finally gets her pianist hands. And Elaine does seriously consider like, is it better for me now? Yeah, she does. She considers it a lot. And she even says, Charles, if you don't want me, I'll go away. And he says, don't say it. If you ever talk like that again, I'll paddle your little bottom so hard. You won't be able to sit for a month of Sundays. And she does ultimately decide like it's worth it to be with this person to live in this time period, which is not often a question our historic romance heroines have or that is dealt with in the romance genre it tends to just be like dope right she gets to wear this big dress and he like loves her and this book really confronts the problem of that right is it better to be loved in a big uncomfortable dress or to be alone and able to vote and And elaine does think like i mean this is probably the most privileged position i could have as a woman right and that's like that's ultimately part of her decision making yeah womance or nomance isabeau my god Womance slash asterisk? Stop doing this! No, it's a womance. I fucking read it in like 11 hours. I, I couldn't know. put it down. It's so good! But I was like against my will and no, come went. to bid you come into no, dinner. It was like, what the fuck am I reading? Half the time I'm like, I hate everyone. You loved everyone. You loved yourself. I love it. Slash I hate it. Slash I love it. Slash this is Outlander Radio. This is different. not Real Housewives. This is better than Real Housewives. I, yeah, but it's like Outlander Redo. It's not Outlander Redo. It's different. Uh, <gasps> you almost said better. You almost said better. I did. But I take it back. Womance. Womance. It's super fucked up, though. I don't want any listeners to, like, go out and get this book because we recommend it so hard. Nick, if you edit this episode and it doesn't come across how fucked up this book is, you failed. You failed. Friggin' bonkers. And I want everybody to know that. I also, like, in the same way that I want everybody to read Shana Shana Shana, I want everybody to read this book so we can talk about how fucking weird it is. We have to talk about it. It's so good. It's better than Shana Shana Shana. Yeah. If you have a complicated relationship with the idea of Shana Shana Shana, this is the book for you. Yeah. Womance, five stars, mm. fireworks, confetti cannons. Oh no, the fireworks set the confetti cannon on fire. It's all burning down. We are left with beautiful glittering ashes. Womance. Four stars from Isabel. <laughs> I would definitely, definitely, definitely choose who I recommended this to. Not recommending any this great piece of art. That's not good. recommending this across the board. Yes. Yes. Good job, Robin Schloan. Oh my God, I can't believe this is your, your first book. book. <laughs> Fucking high five you. Did yeah. you hear that? Did you hear that, Robin? That was for you. That was for you, girl. We're real proud of the work that you did in 1995. I know. I was four. Cool. What were you doing? <laughs> I was eight. So, uh, or seven turning eight. So I just met my lifelong friend, Flory. Oh, that's nice. Mm-hmm. What was I doing when I was four? Uh, fucking qualifying for advanced kinder prep. <laughs> I was having the uh, American Girl story Addie read to me out loud by Mrs. Fisher in my second grade class. Have you seen that funnier die sketch about all the American girls no, meeting together? We and they're like, watch that. They're like, my biggest problem is that my parents are Swedish immigrants. <laughs> and Addie's and like, Molly is like, my biggest problem is I 
don't know my place in this changing post-World 2 America. They're like, what about you, Addie? And she's like, I'm a slave. I'm literally owned. Yeah. My mother and I have to escape. Yeah. It's very funny and very true. Okay. Well. Well, we covered a lot of ground. We covered a lot of ground. We've been on a long journey. Mm, That's how this book felt. Dearest, dearest listeners, loosen your stays for this one. But never your principles. Not even for this one. Mwah! Mwah! Whoa, indeed. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Womance. All editing and music is done by Nick Gravelin. Our logo is by Mary Reichman. And our webmistress is Jane Bonzak. They're the best. Feeling woeful about having to wait a whole week for more Womance? Well, cheer up, Buttercup. You can creep or connect with us on Instagram, Twitter, or our website. Our webpage is womancepod.com. If you prefer to be more verbose and or direct, why not send us an email? We're womancemail at gmail.com, and we can't wait to hear from you. In the meantime, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast listening app. Until next week.